This week, Bam Azizi of No Password joins us for an interview. In our articles for discussion, we talk about why not to brainstorm in groups, the real reason companies are so fo- focused on the short term, how to break bad business habits. In the news, we discuss Barracuda Networks, Fishline, and more. All that on this edition of Formerly Startup Now Business Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly for security professionals by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show about security startups, how to secure your startup, and advice for security startups, it's Startup Security Weekly! Brought to you by, do you have a website, an external presence, employees, an office? Any of these things can be compromised and attacked. How are you defending these assets? Have you penetration tested these public assets? Start 2017 by taking a proactive approach to securing your vulnerable areas. Black Hills Information Security has been helping companies find their weaknesses since 2008. Email consulting at blackhillsinfosec.com and see how they can help you sleep better at night. Welcome everyone to episode 68 of... The podcast formerly known as Startup Security Weekly. Is that- so we need a symbol now. We, we need- have to have a symbol. That's right. We're a symbol now. We're a symbol of Business Security Weekly. We're working on making that name change more official, but uh, this being the first episode of this year, is that? did I get that right? Is This This is the first episode of, of now Business Security Weekly for 2018. That's right. And on the lines via Skype, of course, is none other than Michael Santar. Cangelo, Michael, welcome Thanks, man. I'm the cold beach hobo, sand hobo this week. It's, it's co- uh, I'm cold. I'm cold here. It's cold yeah. today. It's going to yeah. like windshield negative 25 tonight is the expected okay. low here in Rhode Island. So this is how you entice me back to the studio, right? You're like, look, I know I know it's going to be like in the 60s next week, Michael. So come back up. Remember what it's like to be in snow and cold. Remember I just, why you I want left. you to come back here in the studio so we can cuddle and keep each other warm. <laughs> that's really... <laughs> oh, well, if you just said that, that's, that would have been easier. How that's about that? Deal. Yeah. Michael, I'm happy I, to do it. I get a lot of requests, and I just got one uh, today, and I wanted to make sure we covered it probably at the top of the show, not spend too much time on it. But people are like, what are those books you were talking about in episode 67? And what are those books you're talking about? And I think there's really three that we've come down to. So, Mike, if you want to remind our listeners on the the three books that really, it really changed my life, uh, all three of these books in succession, uh, Michael was instrumental in recommending these books. I'm not a big reader. I listen. <laughs> and, and even then, like, I'm not a big, like, book person. I never, I think it was like part of my ADD or whatever. Like, I could just never sit down and, not never, but rarely would I sit down and read a book. Uh, it's just part of my my thing. When so the books that I do read really have to keep my attention, uh, and there are a select few. But Michael's recommended three, which really, I mean, essentially changed my life. Michael, you've changed my life. Michael is what I'm saying. So, so no bar. <laughs> well, that's, I guess that's why we're going to cuddle. Yeah, you know, keep in mind too. Th- these work in order. Paul and I had a great conversation about this yesterday and how they work. The first book is called Play Bigger. I got introduced to this by a client. The idea is that you can change the category you play in. So if you're in security today or you're a vendor and you're, oh, but I don't know where I fit in the Gartner magic quadrant or I'm not sure how the industry sees me, Play Bigger says good. That's that's your advantage. 
don't be defined by somebody else. Go define your own thing. And they they hearken to we've done user design, we've done system design, we've done all these other designs. You can design your own category. It's a great way of looking at it, and it's a lot of the stuff we talk about here in terms of falling in love with the problem. And that's where you'll you'll hear us talk about that. And if you go back, we'll link to it. There was a great episode that we did with Matt Alderman where the three of us got a chance to talk about category, category design. And we've heard from some of you that that's actually been helpful to you. So you can look for more of that in the coming year. After you read that, and that's the one, you know, if that's just to be clear, if that's where you're at, you're you're in that vendor space, um, then you're going to want to spend some more time with it. And if you're listening right now, I say, but Michael, hold on, we're just an enterprise security team, then absolutely read that. Because if chances are you already got categorized as the team mm-hmm. of no, that team that doesn't help us, or I don't know why we would need to involve them, this is your chance. If you go read that stuff and you think about how you define the problem space differently and how you market yourself internally even, huge difference. And I, I've started to do this with some of the security leaders I work with, and, and they love the results. When you get done with that, Next book is called The Brain Audit. It's written by Sean D'Souza. He's going to be on the program with us next month. And uh, I'm, I've become a huge fan. Like it's, 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 what I love about it, just as a lead up to it, is he writes the book. And then he said, by the way, I've got all these other things. And, uh, and he's pretty antithetical to the rest of the marketplace. This whole idea of you've got to have a funnel and you just churn people through the funnel and, and hopefully some percentage works out. His attitude is, how about I be really valuable to people? But I'll show you how this web unfolds itself and it all works out. And I'm a perfect example of it. He's very transparent about his approach. And I have bought uh, almost all of the courses that he's made available to me so far. And there's one or two left. And I'm really looking forward to getting those. So what the Brain Audit does is it says, so category, right? Play Bigger is all about your category. How big is your category? Where are you going to go with it? When you get into to the Brain Audit, what you're talking about is who are you selling to? And he does something, it took me a little bit of time to get my head wrapped around it. We're going to talk to him about this. You, if you're in this, you'll talk a lot about personas or profiles. And his point is, it's one person. Not three people, not ten mm-hmm. people, it's just one. Just who's, who's the person? Otherwise, it gets too kind of convoluted. And I'll be fair, it took me a while to get my head around. Wow, the difference. And what he does is he takes you through the seven steps. So he's basically said, if you could pause the way people make decisions... There's seven steps that we go through. Let me explain them all to you. First three are attraction. Next four are how you overcome risk. This is so important. Again, if, if you're selling something, you really need to get a sense of this. But this is just as important. Again, internally, you're selling something. Like yeah, you, you're selling a new idea, a new project, a new <laughs> process. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and so it's the same thing. Uh, and then the third book, and this is the one that you and I have been talking about a lot lately, is Never Split the Difference. And that's Chris Voss. And I'm, I'm optimistic we can get him on the program this year as well. Former FBI hostage negotiator, and he, he kind of chronicles his story of this is how everybody thought negotiation worked. This is how it actually works. And let me, let me talk to you about it. And so the way I look at it is category design is, so where do you fit and, and what problems do you solve and do people understand it? Brain audit picks up. First thing you have to do is better identify the problem. So if somebody has that problem, you've elevated it in their brain and they're interested to figure out if you can help them or not. Never split the difference to me then is that individual. Somebody says, okay, love, love, yeah, I have that problem and I think I like your solution. So how will we work together? So you're going from big category to I want to go help people who are like this solve this problem to never split the difference, which is how do you work with an individual? to actually negotiate what's good for everybody. And he's got some things in there that I, th- I think people would say are counterintuitive. 
until you start working with them, and then suddenly it's like, oh, it's really cool. And, and I'll say too, he, he says like something cool. in the book that I think is interesting, and he says sometimes his students, right, because he's uh, a former FBI international uh, hostage negotiator, right, that was his former role, but he's been teaching business classes based on his experiences and, and the way he basically effectively redesigned the way uh, you negotiate. And don't think it was just negotiating. One of the things I took from it is he says, well, his students sometimes say, like, I feel like I'm cheating or I feel like I'm tricking people. And as you get further into the book, you, I've realized that it's more about honesty and being honest and labeling things that, and putting them out there in the open I, to the point like I feel better about talking to people uh, in a sales capacity, in a purchasing or any kind of negotiation. I feel better because I'm being more honest. I'm just like getting it out there. I think that's one of the kind of underlying themes that I took from, from Never Split the Difference. Yeah, no, as well said. And, and that's what, one of the things that I liked about it, you know, because sometimes people are like, oh, I read the latest book on negotiation. Let me bust out these tactics. He's like, there's no tactics. Yeah. Fundamentally, if I summed it up, you have to tactically understand what's important to the other person. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they don't know what's important to them. The sooner you can help them figure out what's valuable to them, the, the better it works. So you'll see this is why it works for a lot of the stuff that I do because straight talk is, is all about how do we translate our value and understanding. Yeah. Well, all three of these things are all about the problems, all about ways that we make decisions around those problems, and all about ways we find out what's interesting to everybody else. So you, you got to imagine as I was reading through these – in fact, I, I'm, I'm going to start the cycle again and read through them and start taking notes. I've been looking at different ways to – believe it or not, read books uh, and, and different types of reading and whether you should read fast or slow and how to take notes and do your marginalia and ways to do it differently. And so a, a bunch of you have asked, and we made that comment about doing a book club or whatever mm-hmm. else. Um, yeah, we'll see. Mm-hmm. We, we've got so much great stuff happening that we're really excited about that's going to take me a while to execute on. Here's what I can promise you uh, over the course of the next couple months. Um, I'll do like a book report type of thing on, on these books and I'll show you how it works. Uh, in some of the stuff that we're doing. I'm not sure what the format on that looks like, but because I'm going to sit down and reread them, I'll put that to good use for us, uh, especially as we expand our written program here uh, on the pro- uh, you know, on the, the network. So um, those those are the three books. I have a couple others that um, let me get through them mm-hmm. and I'll kind of figure out where they fit. Um, there's a couple books that I think have been fantastic on the leadership front and a couple that are pretty good on the sales front. And the thing that I've learned about sales is uh, and I, it was funny, w- Paul. When I was a, a younger man, uh, b- back mm-hmm. in the '90s, I remember I was still so one of our partners, Accenture. I was with Accenture, and uh, I had I don't know somehow like didn't sit down fast enough and got nominated to go to some meeting or whatever. I was the youngest person in the room, and all I can remember is somebody uh, coming out to me afterwards and saying, "I'm kind of impressed that you figured it out." And I had no clue what they were talking about. And I said, "Yeah." And and thankfully he continued. He's like, "You figured out that it's about sales." security is ultimately about sales. And I was like, oh, yeah, right. And so everywhere I've ever worked, I've always tried to support the sales team or work with the sales team. Uh, and it's, it's frankly, it's been like a 15-year journey of really trying to understand sales. And in the last year or two, it started to click. And now that I go work with security leaders, there's just some fundamentals of sales that if you understand the basics of marketing, the basics of sales, you will be a better leader, but you'll run a better security team. I guarantee it. And, uh, and it, so this stuff is going to be really important. So however you're joining us, whatever your interest is and in whether you're trying to improve the security of business or improve the business of your security, um, these are these are good books and we'll keep looking for some more as the year goes on. So Excellent. That's what we got. Make sure to check out our friends at itpro.tv. Use the code SECWEEKLY 
Try it free for thirty uh, seven days and get thirty percent <laughs> off if you basically want to be an awesome IT leader and learn about stuff. Go to itpro.tv forward slash security weekly. It's awesome. You should do that. Well, yeah, let me just make a point on that too, because they're a great partner to us. And I've, I've been really impressed with their quality. But what I'm also impressed with is when I talk to them at a business level, uh, I really enjoy their vision. I enjoy the way that they're executing on it. And so I think a lot of people who are more technical look at it and go, oh, that'd be great for me. I mean, Paul, we've got fantastic stories of our audience using their stuff to prepare for new positions, using their stuff to prepare for certifications. I think what sometimes gets overlooked when you're a leader is, and this is going to be in one of our stories today, you really need to focus on training and development. Oh, and by the way, don't ignore yourself. Some of the stuff that they've got there is great. If you want to stay current, keep your pulse on it. Uh, during one of the calls this week, Paul and I made a joke about how he still pines for the command line, and uh, I don't. Mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, I remember the transition uh, about maybe a decade ago where I thought I could do both well. And for me, I, and I had somebody sit me down and say, Michael, you have to choose. And I, I chose. It wasn't a hard choice for me. Um, Paul, what, you, what you I, may not have to choose, but, what, what but I find to, interesting to progress the stuff, that's, our partner is a great way to do it. And there's a lot of places to get training, specifically in IT and, and even security. There's, I mean, and we've taken briefings and we've tested out a number of training <laughs> platforms yes, over have. the past you know, 20 or so years. And even recently, just you know, meeting with a bunch of companies trying to figure out what they're all about. And, uh, you know, I want to say they chose us as much as we've chosen them. And we choose to work with the SANS Institute and ITPro.TV because we believe in them as organizations, as companies, and we believe in their products. Uh, and I think there probably is no more resounding endorsement uh, from us. You know, don't just think we happen to stumble across them. No, like they're they're vetted. Um, we ask other people for their opinions on them and I'm just happy to to be able to recommend to our listeners, uh, you know, that quality training. It kind of save yeah. save you the trouble from having to go, you know, find out where quality training is. Like, really, those are the two places we've chosen. So, uh, choose them as well. Yeah, I think that's well said. That's absolutely well said. How do you feel about passwords, Paul? <sighs> I hate passwords. <laughs> I hate, you know what? I hate the entire authentication process. <laughs> I really do, and I, I tried to simplify it uh, throughout my life in various different ways, most of which have failed. Um, due to the the value that I put on many of my services and accounts, um, I you know go the extra mile as often as I can, which often means I have to sacrifice some convenience. I think we had the conversation about YubiKey. Love YubiKey, but... I've often find myself going, I'm downstairs in my office and my YubiKey is up two flights of stairs on the second floor in the same room where my wife is sleeping. Crap, this sucks. (laughs) And so I think we're all looking for better uh, solutions. Uh, To talk about some of those solutions, Bam Azizi from No Password is joining us today. Bam, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Ben, we've already kind of uh, described some of the problems that we have, um, you know, with passwords and authentication. Uh, how do you define the problem and what's your, your take and point of view on the, the password problem? So I'm, I'm sure everybody knows the password problem. Uh, you don't need to have expert uh, or expertise to know uh, what's the issue. But two main problem is uh, basically two main problems are one is. Um, the inconvenience, as you mentioned, and second is the security. 
password is, has been around for 40, 50 years, and it doesn't um, cover the modern needs of authentications, uh, especially when it comes to uh, new users' behavior on smartphones. Everybody's carrying a smartphone. They don't like use laptops as they or desktop as they they have used to uh, basically use it previously in like, like last decades. Um, so and in the smartphones, you need to for finding the special characters, you need to do like keyboard gymnastic mm. to find all those characters to cover your complex passwords. And often people use like one, two, three, four, five, six to fix that problem, which is not a good solution. Well, yeah, so let's talk about this for a second, because you said something I think is interesting, and it's the proliferation of mobile devices. Has that really started to change this? Like, are we finding that, because, I mean, passwords aren't new. They're centuries. Uh, they're, they're millennia yeah. old. And to be fair, they're not going to go away. So when we say we've got a password problem, what we're really saying is modern use of our devices requires a different way of authenticating. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, so what I was trying to say is definitely passwords are not good in any form and in any use cases. But when it comes to smartphones, uh, people tend to hate passwords more because it's harder to type and harder to change. And uh, there are some other ways to prevent that. Uh, but in general, yeah, that's the statement I was trying to make. All right. Well, so, and, you know, like just an example that comes to mind is with a Wi-Fi password, for example. And when we talk about the Internet of Things, not just smartphones, but if you've ever tried to enter a, a long, complex password for your Wi-Fi network yeah. on your thermostat specifically. Yeah. And there's lots of other devices. I think the Nest thermostat's a good example. Like there's the dial and then you have to push and then there's other like it's even worse on a thermostat than it is on a phone. Uh, and it's just yeah. it's super annoying. Well, yeah, and I'm one of those people that has like those auto-generated 32-character passwords. Mm -hmm. So trying to authenticate on your Apple TV, same thing, mm -hmm. like the, the at least the older versions. Oh man, so I, so I get it. So so it's a pain, and so instead of suffering through the pain, uh, Bam, what you're saying is most people just opt for poor passwords and poor password hygiene, and so as a result, you think that there's a better way. So what does the better way start to look like? So. Um... Just forget about like me and no password for a second. So in the industry, people are trying to solve the password problem and they just focus on the uh, security part of it. So we, they invented like uh, uh, second factors or multi-factors that you get a OTP or a token or something that you need to enter on top of your password. And uh, it means like less convenient, but um, we showed that uh, again and again, it's not secure. So based on, based on Verizon last year report, 85% of uh, cyber attacks are based on a stolen credential. Even the accounts that has been secured by second factors has been compromised in Google or other places. So uh, we thought that the, the solution that we need to offer uh, is should be basically asking the user to not enter anything because as soon as you ask the user to enter any password or any token, there is a chance of social engineering and phishing. Uh, it doesn't matter that how many times you ask the user to enter something, uh, they can enter it in the wrong place and then it's too exploitable. 
Um, so our solution is multi-factor authentication, but we call it H2MFA. It's a human and hidden multi-factor authentication because we believe that um, multi-factor authentication doesn't mean we should bother user multiple times. From the user's perspective, they just do like one-time biometric authentication, but behind the scene, we do all those multi-factors uh, in a hidden and invisible way. So, Bam, is it uh, behavior-based? Like, walk uh, us ourselves and our, our listeners through uh, how users would authenticate in your model. Give us an example. Uh, sure. So, we have we are supporting um, a different type of um, biometrics modules. Uh, we do face and voice and uh, like fingerprint, as many people used to do that on their smartphone. Uh, so the way our solution works that you uh, need to install our application on your phone and you use that application to have access to any other applications on other devices. So basically, we turn your phone to a key or password to all of your applications. And to have access to our application, you need to authenticate based on fingerprint, face, or voice. Um, now we are going after behavioral authentication means that we're using leveraging all the sensors you have on your smartphone to authenticate you uh, without even you knowing that we are authenticating you. It means that you don't even need to do biometric authentication. So, uh, but we are in the beginning of that journey. There are other companies that are doing that as well. Uh, but it doesn't mean that you don't need to authenticate anymore. Sometimes based on the machine learning algorithm result that we get, we might bother you again. But in the most cases, because we know that you're in the right place, you're in, you're, you have the right pattern, you have the right behavioral, we don't bother you to do the authentication. We just authenticate you behind the scene. That's interesting. So uh, at a fundamental level, it's almost like two things that you have, right? It's I need to have the phone. And then that phone needs to recognize some kind of uh, feature or biometric on me. So in, in that sense, there is a multi-factor aspect to it. Correct. Yeah. That's why we call it hidden multi-factor because user just sees once, but we do like multi-factor behind the scene. And now, Let those, me, uh, oh, go ahead, Michael. Well, no, do yours because mine was going to take us a I, little... Well, oh, I was yeah. just going to ask, Bam, so the environmental um aspect of it that replaces the need for like my fingerprint if you know that i'm holding my phone in the same way in a location that i've been in before and i'm connected to a wi-fi network that i'm always connected to you may say well i don't really need your fingerprint because i know that it's you and you're in your office by all of the other uh information i can collect from the phone uh about your environment correct Correct. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And also, uh, we can right now we can claim that we can detect or authenticate you 99.99% based on your behavior. And wow. uh, if there is any any false result from our algorithm, we just ask you to do the authentication one more time. Mm -hmm. uh, but 90% of the time, you don't need to authenticate even yourself. Uh, your phone is on your pocket, and then you just have access to everything you want. You know, it's interesting you say that. So I have another question, but it's interesting because I've started paying attention to the uh, the Apple, the iPhone 10, and the Face ID, and I've read some reports where people say, you know, when it works, 
it's it's amazing. Like you just pick up your phone and everything's there, and and I don't have to worry about it. Well, but it, it talks to that that less friction approach that you're talking about. But but I wanted to ask a, a more esoteric question, which is great because you're getting your PhD, so you're a smart person. Traditionally, right? We've always said there are three factors for authentication: something you know, something you have, something you are. I like to say something you is, but that's probably not really funny <laughs> to everybody else as it is to me. But when we start talking about, so I, I've seen in the past, people have suggested we needed to do things like location or we needed to do other things. And you're talking about like hidden multi-factor or hidden human factors and stuff. Does that model no longer work? Because like we call it MFA now, but if you remember, we used to, if we go back 20 years, it was strong authentication meant you had any two. But just having two passwords didn't mean you had two factors. So then we called it two-factor authentication, and that's where we talked about the, the SMS tokens or the OTPs or some out-of-band thing. And then now we're calling it multi-factor authentication. So if, if we stop for a second, we just look at it a little bit academically. Are, three fa- like, are we at a place now, Bam, where we have more than three factors? Like does location or behavior, does that become a different factor? Uh, they are not different factors. They are part of your identity. So you can categorize them under something you are. So okay. like mm. to get back to your example. So you said you have YubiKey and uh, YubiKey is something you have, like you hold it and your password is something you know. And normally second factor of MFA, as we call it in the industry, um, doesn't cover the biometric part of it yet. So it's just two of three. Um, and the, what, the one that we are trying to eliminate is something you know, uh, and we try to replace it with something your phone knows about you, um, uh, instead of you entering something, because then that increases the chance of social engineering, because you cannot train all of your users. Um, um, definitely, you have different type of users that are not tech savvy. They, they, they might enter their code or token in wrong places. Um, and that is, by the way, the, the most common way of hacking uh, that we know uh, every day breaking the news, right? Um, so uh, we try to change that model to something you are, which is your biometrics, and something you have, which is your phone, and something your phone knows about you, the registered phone, ah. the, the trusted yes. And then that would be the location, um, the, your behavioral, and also we generate a 2048 character password, one-time password behind the scenes, sending it to the server, verified on the server side. So that would be your password. Uh, that would be something you know, but actually you don't know it. Your phone knows it. Mm. So when you add these other factors in then, are, are, are you you're basically just increasing confidence? Is that what's starting to happen? Yeah, so um, psychologically, People used to use passwords, so when it's easy to have access, they just feel uh, like uh, for a second they feel not secure. But uh, down the road, if they go and um, basically continue using the system, they understand that it's convenient and more secure. Normally, people start using no password. They try to test it. Uh, They ask their twins or their similar (laughs) uh, relatives to check if it works or not. And then they, they understand that it's very secure and people around them cannot leverage uh, the physical access to the devices to uh, basically steal their identity. And then they feel comfortable. So I think we need to educate people 
and uh, definitely um, face ID or touch IDs or fingerprints uh, that we are using every day helps us to educate more people. Uh, and we are in the beginning of the journey. As you said, password has been there for like 100 years maybe, and we cannot change it overnight. No, I mean, it, it, you raise a good point. You know, the thing that I'm kind of taking with too is that if we looked at trying to do behavioral analysis or any of these types of things 20 years ago, it, it sounded great. But we just, we couldn't get enough details. We couldn't get enough data but if we think about the proliferation of sensors, the data, the speed with which we can act on it, it sounds like we've made a lot of these things at least more possible uh, than we've seen in the past. All right, so this has all been pretty interesting. I'm curious, how did you end up on this path? I mean, how did, how did this turn into a company for you? And, uh, and what's it like being the CEO of a startup company? Uh, I'm, I'm CTO, by the way, uh, but co-founder CTO of, of the a company. startup company. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, what happened is we wanted to provide this and offer this to uh, consumers first um, because we had password problem and I had computer science degree, so I thought it's a good, good problem to tackle and solve it. Um, and then we realized that it's very hard to sell such a product to consumers um, because they are not early adopter first and second is we don't have that much flexibility in terms of integration with different services so we started to selling to enterprises because they were happier they, they had like bigger problem security really they cared about security part of it and they they were happy to pay for such a solution and we thought that okay we will provide a premium service to enterprises and then when we grow up, we give it away for free to all the consumers. And then they can adopt to the solution that has already been tested by big enterprises and banks and financial institutions. Um, so, and then we ended up uh, building a solution that uh, fits uh, inside the inter large enterprises ecosystem. And uh, so they can connect their VPN, their um, computers, workstations, and other resources or web apps, and their identity and access management ecosystem. Um, they don't need to rip and replace anything. They just plug in, no password, and they take it from there. Uh, and then uh, we provide the same service to consumers uh, for free uh, as a password manager. Um, but they don't need to have any master password for, to manage all those passwords uh, because there is no way that we can integrate uh, with thousands of web apps that they don't have any type of integration like Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or whatever. Um, so everybody right now is using some sort of password manager or native browser password manager, uh, which normally requires a master password to unlock your uh, password vault. And we wanted to do that a better way. Um, so we have heard like LastPass has been hacked and all the passwords got compromised. So what we wanted to do is uh, storing all the information in your um, secure, um, basically partition of your smartphone, and we don't have any uh, passwords uh, from you in our server. So even if no password get hacked, there is uh, nothing other than some sort of tokens and some information about your phone, um, but, but no real passwords is stored in our server. Um, so I always say that in, in, 
in the in the forefront you see that we are fighting passwords but uh, in the heart we are fighting against centralized databases um, I'm not going toward blockchain and other like complex stuff that you've heard about that but what we want to do and what we want to offer is um, uh, providing a secure way to store all of your passwords without using any master password and you own your identity you own uh, your uh, data and you can destroy all of them whenever you want and you are the only person that can unlock it and use it whenever you want so that's our mission and hopefully we will launch the consumer version which was which will absolutely be free without any advertisement uh in q1 bam is using this system you know, from no password i don't is there any increased exposure if my phone gets hacked if I'm using no password versus LastPass versus no password manager? So uh, we try to we try to solve that problem. Um, so there are many other companies that can make your phone secure, and because we are storing biometric information on your phone, uh, we have zero tolerance about rooted devices and. Mm-hmm. Uh, any debuggers attached to your phone or any like funky stuff that is happening, we automatically, we have a self-destruct basically algorithm that destruct everything, destroy everything and smoke the phone. You can smoke the phone remotely. So if somebody is still your phone and you don't feel comfortable, you can remotely destroy all the information stored by no password. Um, So we try to solve that problem. Your biometrics and passwords are already, I mean, depending on what you're using, largely already stored on your phone. I just, I don't, in hearing you describe it uh, a little earlier, I don't really see any increased risk or exposures uh, in using your system because someone does manage to get your phone. You know, that's, there are inherent dangers with that anyway, regardless of how, you know, what mechanisms and various tactics you're using to, to authenticate the things. Yeah, that, that is correct. Michael, more questions? What's your biggest surprise now that you've now that you're the co-founder and CTO, not CTO, CEO, but CTO <laughs> of a company? Uh, I mean, like you, you've laid out a strategy that actually sounds kind of interesting, right? Enterprises will pay, and consumers won't. But we also know if consumers start using it, I'm guessing then you've got a hook for the enterprises that have consumer-facing um, activities right. that that they can they can streamline the whole process. I think it's great. Anytime you can create that kind of a demand and proof point. I really like it. So what's your biggest surprise been so far on this journey? So um, there are some pushbacks that uh, there are some hurdles that we need to pass. Um, so we are talking with large financial institutions. It took like two years for us to close our first contract. And uh, because well, we need to basically prove ourselves, we have done tons of testing and build a like very good product, but it has basically it needs to be tested, and it needs to be compliant with many other um, basically compliances. And we had to like gain different type of certificates. It took so long for us to uh, close first deal, uh, but right now uh, because we closed few deals, people are trusting us easier uh, and easier. And I think it's just the industry start responding uh, and reacting to what we are offering. And uh, one interesting thing that we are trying to fight is the smart cards. 
because many enterprises are using smart card for their uh, workstations. I don't know why they call it a smart card because it's just a cheap and pin <laughs> and <then> plastic. <laughs> I, I get why we call it a smartphone, but I don't know why we call it a smart card. Uh, but we, we provided a solution that we, we tell them, okay, whatever you can do with a smart card, you definitely can do with a smartphone because you have better storage, you have better security on your smartphone, and actually you can authenticate. So, um, the smart card is passive, right? So if you have it, you if you own it, you have it, right? So you, you can say, uh, this is Johnny or um, uh, this is Bam. So there is no way that you can do the authentication on a smart card. And uh, again, we the other problem the smart card has is cannot address the modern needs. You cannot use a smart card for your smartphones. Your native smartphone applications doesn't accept the smart cards. It's very inconvenient. And, uh, and then we have done a survey with one of our customers for their employees. They have 50,000 employees and they ask their employees that if you lose your, if you forget your smart card that you're using to log into your workstation, and if you forget your uh, key fob and your phone, which one you return to home and get it and come back to office? Hmm. 90% said smartphones and 10% said smart cards. Um, so you, you, Nobody, com- actually, everybody, I would say, come back to get their smartphone because we cannot live without our smartphones. Uh, and then they say, okay, um, that's a cheaper solution for our uh, employees. And our employees, they are um, bringing their smartphone every day to the work. They don't need to replace it. And they are not dependent to external hardware. So they have it every time they are in the office. So it's, it kind of makes sense for them to use that. But in the beginning, there are some pushbacks because um, if you check, um, you know that like enterprises, they pay for for a solution. They want to use it for 10 years. Uh, so it, it <laughs> takes time to basically fight in the different divisions to change that behavior. And I believe uh, that won't be, we won't have the same problem for consumers because consumers um, want just convenience, right? So if it's a, if it's a convenient solution, they will use it. Um, and if it has a better security, it's just it's a jelly on top. So that's good. But we are 100% sure that we want to offer something that is more convenient than passwords for, for end users. I got to tell you, Ben, you're one of the first – I mean, Paul joked, but I don't think it was a joke that I – I'm uh, I am publicly in love with the password problem, and typically I just hear people <laughs> bitch and lament and and throw crap out there. That you've this has been great. Like I've I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I really like your approach and your take on it. Uh, where can people get more information if they want to try it out, consumer or otherwise? Where do they go? Nopassword.com. Uh, so right, yeah. If they can go to nopassword.com and uh, go and add the their email to the like we have two sign up. One is for enterprise, uh, free trial, and one is for consumer because we haven't launched it yet. So we will add them to the mailing list and we will let them know whenever it's ready. Awesome. Ben, thank you so much for appearing on Business Security Weekly. Thanks for having me and Happy New Year. You too. Thank you. Uh, With that, we'll take a short break. Come back. Talk about leadership, innovation, and startup success as well as some startup news. Stay tuned.